going to ask you just to bow your heads with me, and I'm actually going to be using the words of a song by Mercy Me uh, as a prayer just to begin our message. So if you would uh, just bow your heads with me. Word of God, speak. Would you pour down like rain, washing our eyes to see your majesty. Help us to be still and know that you're in this place. Please help us stay and rest in your holiness. Word of God, speak. Amen. We all receive invitations that call us away from our normal routine and schedule. Some of those invitations we don't want to accept, and some of them we do want to accept. For example, Tana and Caleb and I recently accepted an invitation to a dear friend's wedding. To accept, we had to make some adjustments to our schedule and our normal routine. But the wedding was being held in our favorite spot on earth, the Smoky Mountains. So it was quite easy to adjust and to accept. We wanted to. It offered us a chance to get away for a few days together, to unwind, to disconnect from our normal routine, and reconnect with some old friends. I didn't have to perform the ceremony. I just got to be a spectator and to enjoy the beautiful scenery of early fall in the Smokies. It was truly a relaxing and restful time, and we enjoyed it greatly, but we had to come home. We had to return to our normal routine. This morning, I want to tell you of another invitation, one that you can accept daily and moment by moment. This invitation is from the great inviter, Jesus. And it's just that, an invitation. It's not going to be forced upon you. But if you accept this invitation, you will find the peace and the rest and the fulfillment that you long for. Turn in your Bibles with me to the Gospel of Matthew chapter 11. And we're going to read some familiar verses, verses 28 through 30. Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 through 30. I've always called this the great invitation. Jesus invites you and me with these words. Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. I want to identify a few things for us this morning. First of all, our problems, our symptoms, our results, and then show you Jesus' solutions and the results we get when we follow his solutions. First of all, of our problems, there are three of them. We have made our labor has become our life. We have made our life all about our work, our careers. And therefore, we have made it our source of identity and fulfillment, especially men. 
We as men find our identity and our life purpose in our careers. You know that's not what God intended for you to find your life purpose in your career. He didn't intend for you to find your fulfillment in your career. Where do you think he intended you to find your purpose and your fulfillment? In him, serving him, knowing him, loving him. Do you have to work? Of course you have to work. If the Bible says if you don't work, you shouldn't eat. But it's not to become our source of identity. It's not to become our whole life. And we all, the, we all but refuse to be still. According to a Greek legend in ancient Athens, a man noticed the great storyteller Aesop playing childish games with some little boys. He laughed and he jeered at Aesop, asking him why he wasted such time and, uh, and such frivolous activity. Aesop responded by picking up a bow and unstringing the bow and placing it on the ground. Then he said to this critic, What lesson can you learn from this? Answer this riddle of the unstring, unstrung bow. The man looked at it for several minutes, but he had no idea what the point Aesop was trying to make. Aesop explained, If you keep a bow always bent, it will break eventually. But if you let it go slack, it will be more fit for use when you want it. The problem, one of our problems, is we don't know how to be still. We think we always have to be busy doing something. The Bible tells us in Psalm chapter 4 and verse 4, Meditate within your heart on your bed and be still. Psalm 46.10 Be still and know that I am God. How many of you, you don't have to indicate anyway, but just think about this answer. How many of you have trouble being still? And the only time you're really still is when you're sound asleep. Do you think that that's healthy? Do you think that's the way God intended your life to be? Of course not. But somehow we think it's more godly to be busy than it is to be still. We don't understand how to be quiet. Quiet. Noise affects human behavior. In one experiment carried out by a psychologist, a student leaving a library intentionally dropped an armload of books. In 50% of the cases... A passerby stopped to help the student pick up his books. Then the experimenters brought out a lawnmower without a muffler. Some of you own one like that. And started it near where a student would intentionally drop his books. This time, only about 10% of the people who passed by stopped to help pick up the books. It was clear that behavior changed because of the ear-splitting sound of the nearby lawnmower. Another experiment in Los Angeles, researchers found that children who lived in neighborhoods near the airport could not complete certain tasks undertaken when jets were landing or taking off as easily as children who lived in quiet neighborhoods. And in other studies in prison conditions, have shown that the high levels of noise cause more complaints 
by the prisoners than the food or the other prison conditions do. Noise. Noise. Earbuds. Noise. Radio. Noise. Television. Noise. Videos. Noise. Internet. Noise. We're always plugged in. You think that's what God wants for you? Ecclesiastes chapter 4 and verse 6. By the way, let me make a point here. None of those things are wrong, but if you stay plugged in constantly, it is wrong. It is sinful because it means you're ignoring the great inviter. Ecclesiastes chapter 4 verse 6. Better a handful with quietness than both hands full with toil and grasping for the wind. In Psalm, I'm sorry, in Proverbs chapter 17 and verse 1, better a dry morsel with quietness than a house full of feasting with strife. Psalm 131 says this, Lord, my heart is not haughty, nor my eyes lofty, neither do I concern myself with great matters, nor with things too profound for me. Surely I have calmed and quieted my soul. Like a weaned child with his mother, like a weaned child is my soul within me. 1 Thessalonians 4.11 tells us we are to aspire. Our goal should be to lead a quiet life. Let me ask you at this point, does your life look like that? Our first problem that I just shared with you is that our labor has become our life. Our second problem is we're yoked to the world. The Bible tells us in 2 Corinthians 6.14, do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. How are we, believers, yoked to the world? There's many ways. I'm just going to give you one example because we're going to move on. The average household, and this is across all households, whether you are saved or unsaved, or you're a Christian or an unbeliever, this is across all of those statistics. The average household has almost $16,000 worth of credit card debt. That makes, for all U.S. consumers, $729 billion of credit card debt. That's why we're always busy. We're trying to pay off our credit cards. We're yoked to astronomical debt. We're trying to buy things that we don't need 
to please friends we don't have. And it doesn't make a hill of beans difference. We're materialistic. We are consumers. We're yoked to the world. That's just one way. And because we're so yoked to the world, our third problem is we neglect Christ and His Word. I mean, who has time? I mean, we, we squeeze in Sunday morning, but that's a squeeze, that's a tight squeeze. That's a tight fit for some of you this morning. You squeezed it in. You, sh- you could be doing something else right now to work to pay off that debt. So we have these three problems. Our work has become our life. We are yoked to the world, and we neglect Christ and His Word. And we wonder why life is so crazy. Here's our symptoms. And these are quotes. Our symptoms are, we are too busy. I'm too busy. Jesus called it this. He said, come to me, all you who labor and are too busy. You say, that's not what it says. It says heavy laden. You know the word heavy laden means overburdened. Hebrews 12.1 tells us that we are to consider Hebrews 11, the hall of faith, all these men and women who, who strove faithfully to live out their faith and, and their generation. And he says in Hebrews 12.1, therefore, he says we're to lay aside the weight and the sin that so easily besets us. The weight. For, for some of us, it's, it's not just the sin that, that's the problem, it's the weight, it's the being overburdened that keeps us from really loving the Lord and really serving the Lord. We're too busy. That's a symptom of our problem. Secondly is we're tired all the time. You say, where is that in the scripture? It's in the word labor. Come to me, all you who labor. That word labor means to feel fatigued. I'm always tired because I'm always busy. And therefore, a third symptom is we're disconnected. We are disconnected from God. We're disconnected from His Word. We're disconnected from other believers. We're disconnected from our families. We're disconnected from unbelievers whom we should be connecting with in order to lead them to see Christ. We're disconnected. We're connected. We're plugged into our little devices, but we're disconnected from real life and real living and real people. And here's the results. Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden. We are. We feel it. We're heavy laden. We have no peace. We have no rest. We're constantly out of breath. Emotionally, mentally, physically. You know, the scriptures call Jesus the Prince of Peace, but his people aren't very good examples of that. The world would think he's the prince of busyness. The world would think he's the prince of chaos and disorder and disunity. The world would think that he's the prince of hustle and bustle. 
not the Prince of Peace. Because they see us that way. Another result is because we're so busy and, and all these problems and symptoms in our lives is that we have no desire for Christ or His Word. You see, the, one of the symptoms is one of the symptoms was we, we have no time for Christ and His Word. That produces no desire for Christ and His Word. Let me tell you the best way to get hungry for God and His Word. You know the best way to get hungry for God and His Word? You know, <clears throat> we had Thanksgiving this past week. We, we call Thanksgiving a holiday, but really it's a meal, isn't it? How many of you had Thanksgiving but you didn't eat? <laughs> Don't see a single hand, you know? You know why I get hungry for sweet potato casserole? You know, I, I, the second day, the, the leftover day, it's just as good, isn't it? <clears throat> I put, you know, turkey's all right. I put maybe one or two little, little pieces. The second day, I don't even eat turkey. It's everything else I want. And I mean, I load it up with the starches, the sweet potato casserole. The, you know, and I love the bread that goes with the corn, the cream corn, the, um, you know, the, all those starchy foods. You know why I like those things? You know why my mouth waters for those things come Thanksgiving? And, and my wife makes this uh, orange salad. It's kind of like, it's, it's, y'all probably wouldn't like it, but it's got cottage cheese in it and orange jello and, and, and whipped cream and, and, and mandarin oranges. It's one of my favorites. She makes it every year. You know why I want those things? Because I've tasted them before, and bless God, they're good. <laughs> I want more. I wish it didn't just come once a year. It's a good thing it doesn't. Soup's already too tight. You know how to get hungry for God and His Word? Get in it. Start feeding in it. It'll create the hunger. You say, well, I just don't want to read my Bible. So I don't. That's stupid. Do you really desire to? Sure, I desire to, but I don't have a... I, I mean, I really kind of want to, but I don't find time. I don't. Well, get in it. You'll find a hunger that you cannot satisfy. You want more and more and more. And because there's, there's no desire for Christ or His Word, there's no fulfillment in life. You know, they found Jesus. Mary and Joseph found Jesus at 12 years old after they'd missed Him for three days. They come back and they find him in the temple. And there he is with the teachers and the leaders. And Mary was freaked out and said, Why did you do this to us? You remember what Jesus said? He said, Why were you so worried? Didn't you know I must be what? About my father's busyness. Are you about your father's busyness or are you about your busyness? Jesus made his life's work. He made his life busy about the Father's busyness. Now see, some of the stuff that you and I do, we can't stop doing. We can't stop going to work. We can't stop spending time with our families. We shouldn't. But there's a whole host of other junk in our lives that we can stop doing. The things that you can't stop doing, you need to make more purposeful. Is me going to work just to earn a paycheck to pay off this astronomical debt? Or can I see what I do with purpose? Can I 
impact the people that I work with and work around with love, with kindness, with the fruits of the Spirit? Can I demonstrate the person of Jesus Christ? Will I have opportunity? Can I pray about an opportunity to speak to that person about Jesus Christ? Can I make my busyness more purposeful? So it becomes my father's business and not just my business. You see, most of us are like a hamster on a wheel. We're always busy, but we're not going anywhere. And there's no purpose. There's no fulfillment. There's no meaning. All we get is a paycheck just to see it disappear within a few hours. Right? Am I the only one that happens to? It's gone. The bills are paid. But the check is gone. Is that the only reason you go to work? Those are our problems. Those are our symptoms. Those are our, our results. Here's what Christ says. These are his solutions. Come to me. This is the great invitation. Hear Jesus saying, come to me. Yes, he wants us to come to him for salvation. But many believers forget about our deepest need. Just because he saved you doesn't mean you're, that he's still not your deepest need every day of your life. Time with him. Daily, moment by moment. This is a daily invitation, a moment by moment invitation. Come to me. When Jesus called his disciples in Matthew 10 and in Luke 6, 13, it says that first of all, he called them. And if you look at Matthew 10, it says, yeah, he sent them out. He empowered them to have authority over the demons. He, had, he, he, he gave them authority to heal the sick. He gave them authority to teach the word of God. But before he even sent them out, before he gave them a command, before he gave them the authority, the Bible says he called them, what? To himself. Listen, that's the most important part of your life. That is the first part of our life, is to come to him. Come to me. See, Colossians 2.10 reminds us that we're complete in Christ. You see, when you go about your day without Christ, then you have no fulfillment. 2 Corinthians 12, 9 says, He is our sufficiency. You have no purpose, no, no meaning, no fulfillment, no sufficiency, because if Christ is not a part of it. So what do we do when we come to Him? He says, come to Him. So what do I do when I come to Him? Well, Psalm 142 is a beautiful psalm. Here's what He tells us we can do when we come to Him. Cry out to the Lord. I cry out to the Lord with my voice. With my voice to the Lord, I make my supplication. So I pray, I cry out to God. I, I ask Him for things. But then I pour out my complaint before Him. You know what, God, I would rather you complain to God than to complain to me. So I tell my kids a lot when I'm teaching. Uh, some of you don't think you can complain to God. So you complain to your wife. You complain to your husband. You complain to your parents. You complain to your kids. You know who you ought to be complaining to? The Bible says you can pour out your complaint to God. He'll listen. Nobody else wants to. But he'll listen. Pour out your complaint to God. It's something, you, you feel like you got to vent it. Well, I'm so grateful for you, sweetheart. I get to vent everything on you. Well, that's not why she's there. That's why he's there. Vent 
to Him. Are you angry? Vent to Him. You want to gripe? Gripe to Him. You say, well, some of my gripes are about Him. That's all right, tell Him. You say, oh, it strike me dead. That's the way you think about God? You get the wrong view of God. I pour out my complaint. When I come to him, I can pour out my complaint. I can declare before him my trouble. I can tell him, God, here's what's bothering me. Here's what's, verse 3, overwhelming me. The Bible says in 1 Peter 5, 7, Cast all your care upon the Lord. What's eating at you? Come to him and dump it on him. He can take it. Amen? He's big enough. He's strong enough. And not only can he take it, guess what? He can do something about it. The other day, as my wife was sharing some things with me, as a husband, I got into fix-it mode. Women, y'all love that, don't you? Right? I wanted to fix it. Here's the solution. Here's what you can do. Here's what you ought to do. How many of the husbands ever done that? Yeah. And our wives end up frustrated. You know, what our wives are waiting for is they want, the Bible says, dwell with your wives with understanding. They just want a listening ear. They just want to say, honey, I understand. Let me pray for you. They want encouragement. I want to fix the problem. Let's make it go away. You see, God, when you bring your complaint and your trouble to God, He gives that ear, He gives that sympathy, that understanding. He knows how to do both at once. I'm not very good at both at once. And He has the power to fix it. Bring it to the Lord. Bring it to God. So here's the solution. Come to me. Then He says, take my yoke. The reason many feel so heavy laden is because we're yoked to the world and not to Christ. By the way, you can't be yoked to the world and to Christ at the same time. The Bible tells us that in Matthew 6, 24. You cannot serve two masters. And when you try, it just adds to your heaviness and you're feeling overwhelmed. But some are, are yoked to their own pride and self-sufficiency. People that say, you know what, I got this. God, I don't, I don't need to talk to you about this. I can handle this. You know what, that's pride. It doesn't matter if it's small and you think you got it or if it's huge and you know you need him. Bring it all to him. Y'all know what a yoke is, right? That's what a yoke looks like. I have no experience with that. How many of you have some experience with that? Some of you do. That's what they would put two animals in, two oxen, two mules, or something like that, and they would yoke them together to pull a heavy load. But... Many Christians are unequally yoked like this. You know, the Bible says, don't be unequally yoked. That's a camel and a cow. In the Old Testament law, they were not to yoke two different animal types of animals together. If you're going to plow with oxen, you plow with two oxen. If you're going to plow with mules, you plow with two mules. You didn't put an oxen and a mule in the same yoke. And see, many believers are unequally yoked. You're yoked with something other than Jesus Christ. And you wonder why your life 
is a mess. How do I take up his yoke? He said, take my yoke upon you. So how do I do that? First of all, you unyoke from the world. And you reestablish a solid connection with Jesus Christ. His yoke is his connection with you. Just like those two animals were connected by that yoke. His yoke is his connection with you. And when you aren't spending time with him, you are disconnected. His yoke is his relationship with you. So we have to humble ourselves. We have to adjust our routines and schedules. We think we have to do what we're doing. We, and that's pride. It's pride to tell God, God, what I'm doing is more important than spending time with you and what you want me to do. I've got to do this. You don't understand. And that's pride and that's self-sufficiency. So we have to humble ourselves and we have to adjust our schedules and adjust our routines to make Him a priority and to get reconnected, to get reattached, to become, yes, dependent on Him. We don't like that word. Dependent. He says, come to me. Take my yoke and learn from me. This is why so many of us are weary, is that we're ignorant of God's ways. Therefore, we haven't applied them to our lives, and we suffer the painful and miserable consequences. Christ wants us to learn His ways. That's the goal of resting in Him. That's the goal of being still with Him, is to learn His ways. Because when we learn His ways, we then apply them to our life. And we see that life is much more meaningful, much more fulfilling, much more purposeful, much more harmonious than our own way. See, God's ways are higher than our ways, and His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. He wants to teach us, but we have to come. Henry Brandt was a factory worker, but he was a Christian. He lived out his faith to such an extent that his co-workers knew that he was a follower of Jesus. And when they would encounter a problem in their marriage, or a problem with their money, or some other problem, they would come to Henry and say, Henry, what does the Bible say about this problem in my marriage? Or this problem with my money? And Henry would say, well, I'm not sure, but I'll tell you what, I'll go home tonight and I'll research that. And I'll bring you an answer in the morning. So he'd go home at night and he would get in God's Word and he would find out what God's Word had to say about that particular problem. Then he would come back to that person and say, here's what the Bible says about that problem and what you're supposed to do. And so that person would go and apply that principle. And within a very short time, because of that person, an unbeliever, applying the principles of God's Word, their marriage began to change. Their finances began to change because they were adjusting their life to the principles of God's Word. You see, we're followers of Christ, and we think that going to heaven's enough. We don't have to live by the book. But listen, our busyness and our, has kept us from learning the ways of God and we're just as troubled, just as troubled as the unbeliever. But we're supposed to know the ways of God so that we can apply them to our lives. 
and live differently. Let me ask you this. Do you think Jesus had a trouble-free life? Oh, he was God. He had a trouble-free, had a perfect life. Did he? You ever read the Bible? Did Jesus have a trouble-free life? No. What do you think kept him at rest and peace? Was it staying busy with his disciples? Was it ministry to the multitudes? We learn from Jesus when we see and follow his example. Verse 29 says that he is gentle and lowly. He's not loud and proud. He's not hustle and bustle. He's not run here, run there. He's not do this, do that. In fact, very interesting passage of Scripture in Luke 5, 15 and 16. It says, the report about Jesus spread all the more. And great multitudes came together to hear and to be healed by him of their infirmities. So if I were recording this, as I were the gospel writer, here's how I would probably put in the next phrase I would put in the Bible. Because his fame was spreading, because the multitudes were gathering to him, I would have said, and so Jesus spent so much more time healing people, ministering to people, he just poured his life into those people. But that's not what the next verse says. The next verse says, so he himself did what? Withdrew. That's what you need to do. That's what I need to do. <laughs> he said, I don't have time to. Did Jesus? He was being thronged by the multitudes. And because he was being thronged, he withdrew. We think because we're being thronged, we have to give our attention to it. <laughs> that's, not the, that's not the way of the Lord. That's your way. That's the world's way. He withdrew and he prayed. The Bible says it very similarly in, in Matthew chapter 14 and in verse 23. And when he had sent the multitudes away, you need to send some of that busyness away. You need to send some people away. Not in a rudely, he wasn't rude. But he said he sent them away. And he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. And when evening came, he was alone there. You say, but preacher, I'm never alone. There's no way. It's impossible. I've discovered in my life that I make time for what I want to do. If I want to take time to, to sleep, I'm going to find time to sleep. If I want to make time to play golf, I'll find time. If I want to spend time with God, I'll make time. You know when it's really quiet? Three o'clock in the morning. Nobody else is up. I don't get up at three o'clock in the morning unless God makes me. I'm not a great sleeper anyway. I don't sleep great, but those are quiet times. There's plenty of quiet hours in this life if it's important to you. Many times I used to, years ago, would wrestle with God. I can understand Jacob wrestling with God. I'd wrestle, but I'd wrestle in my bed. God would, or I would get awake and then I would blame God. 
God, why won't you let me sleep? You know i got a busy day tomorrow. Let me go back to sleep. And then I'd get mad at God. And then that just made, made it worse because I couldn't go to sleep then. And finally, two or three hours later, I say, all right, I'll get up. Good gracious, I'll pray. But in the last years, I've learned that when God wakes me up, I, I usually know within 15 minutes if I'm going to be able to go back to sleep. I'll just get on up. I'll say, Lord, I know you woke me up. I want to spend this quiet time with you. And it's the sweetest, quietest, calmest time. And the rest of the day, he gives me energy. He gives me the grace. We learn from Jesus when we read, listen to, and obey his commands. So here's his results. He says, listen to what he says. Don't miss this. He said, I, I will give you rest. That word rest, I'm going to say it in the Greek, anaposis. It's a compound word, ana or ana meaning up. And posis meaning pause. An upward pause. So Christ promises that when we come to Him and we get yoked to Him and we learn from Him, that He will provide an intermission to our busy lives that is directed upward to Him. An upward pause. An upward stillness. Christ can order your day better than you can. And He always includes time for rest, stillness, and calm. And if you're not experiencing that, you're yoked to the wrong thing. Let me say that again. If you're not experiencing quiet and calm and rest, daily you are yoked to the wrong thing. I may give you rest. Is that what he said? I may give you pause. What did he say? Do you believe the word of God this morning? And if God is true, if God's word is true, and I'm not experiencing what God said I'll have, then who's at fault? Me. Then he said, you will find rest. You see, not only will he give you rest, but rest becomes a natural byproduct of our coming to him, yoking to him, and learning from him. It's what Paul said in Philippians 4. Be anxious for nothing. But in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. And the peace of God that surpasses all understanding. In other words, it doesn't make sense how in the middle of this crazy life that I can experience his peace. But man, I do. I am. It's amazing. Why? How, you can, how, can, how can you do that when everything's still the same? The peace that passes understanding shall guard your heart, that is your emotions, and your mind, that is your sanity. but not if you're not coming to Him and yoking to Him and learning from Him. By the way, did you know that you can be in trouble and not be troubled? Practice that the next time. I've been trying to practice that. I have not arrived. I know that's true because God says it's true. 
But usually when I get in trouble or something's going wrong, I feel troubled. I get anxious. I worry. And other negative emotions. Lately I've been practicing. And by the way, I will always be practicing because I will never have perfected it. But I've been trying to practice this. Jesus, when he was preparing his disciples for his betrayal, his arrest, his death, and his departure from his disciples, he said, let not your heart be troubled. Paul and Silas, when they were arrested for preaching their faith and they were thrown in a Philippian jail, shackled hand and foot, maybe in their mind thinking we're going to be executed, what are they doing? Praying and praising. They were in trouble, but they were not troubled. Jesus says, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. His solutions are, I will give you rest. You will find rest. And you'll discover that my yoke is much easier than the one you're wearing right now. Jeremiah 6.16, thus says the Lord, stand in the ways and see and ask for the old paths where the good way is and walk in it. Then you will find rest for your souls. But the problem with that verse is how it ends. You see how it ends? There are some of you who will keep on living the way you're living. You won't make any adjustments to your life. You'll just stay as busy as you've always been. In fact, you'll add to it. You'll say what these people said. We will not walk in it. And God will say, then you will not have rest. You will not have peace. You will continue to experience the burden that you were never intended to carry. Come to me. And I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and you will find rest. My burden is light. My yoke is easy. Will you accept this invitation? This morning? A wagon driver was on his way to market when he overtook an old man carrying a heavy load. The wagon driver took compassion on him and invited the old man to ride in the wagon. Gratefully, the man accepted. After a few minutes, the driver turned to see how the man was doing. And to his surprise, he found the man still straining under the heavy weight. For even though he had gotten in the wagon, he had not taken the burden off of his shoulders. My friends, why? Are we still carrying these burdens when we know the great burden bearer? When we have received such a great invitation, why would we keep going the way we're going? It's insane. You know this invitation is the best one you'll ever get this season. Invitation this season. This one's the best.
This is the best invitation you'll get this year and next year and for the rest of your life. You know it's the answer, don't you? And yes, you'll have to adjust your schedule, your routine, to accept this invitation. But I promise you, Jesus promises you, it'll be worth it all. You'll never regret it. Jesus says, come to me. Come to me. So the first thing you're going to do right now, or that I'm going to ask you to do, is to start this week off. Today's the first day of the week. Right now, just quietly before the Lord. Would you bow your heads?